0: Salutations. My name is Tyler Elenick, and this is Raven Drew, the podcast that chronicles all things 90s Canada. This episode is the conclusion of my chat with Jeff Pierce and Kevin Young of Vancouver, British Columbia's Moist. Now, speaking of uh, Big Shiny Tunes and Edgefest, which you guys are both a part of, um, do you think those things kind of helped legitimize the canadian artists and canadian musicians knowing that you guys are top bill above food fighters and green day and you guys are side by side and i just search radiohead or whatever and
1: i think i think we were we were so in it at that point that uh it, you know it, it, obviously it felt great to be able to be in uh, in canada you know headlining over with uh, 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 with with bands like uh, Green Day and, and and the Foo Fighters coming on, uh, you know, at different times, but you know, I, I I think back to that, and it just seemed like a really and everybody says this about the time, uh, you know, a certain period in their life for different reasons, but it really felt like a special time for Canadian music. There had been a lot of successful Canadian artists prior to that, but for whatever reason in the in the alternative rock scene in the nineties, uh, you know, there were there were a number like many many bands who upped the game for 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 canadian artists i feel that were ambassadors in in other places other countries some people did well in one area some people did well in another area, where people said hey you know we, we should be taking these canadians more seriously one of the issues that we found or one of the issues one of the things that we discovered in the states is that you know when you're when you're an american band talking about social issues and and you know the the, the the tough life that that people live in a lot, and if we're living in in major cities and that sort of things, really harsh songs about uh, uh, addiction and mental illness and uh, what have you. Really, there was some really dark. There was some really dark music in the '90s, mm-hmm. and I think that there was a general. I think that some people sort of looked at Canada and went, well, you, 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 Canada's not about that. You know, you, mm. you don't have these, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have the same demons, almost kind of thing, you know, it was, Agreed, it was almost yeah. harder to be taken seriously as a Canadian rock band. Mm. Um, and if it was hard for Canadian rock bands, it was, it was for a time, even, even harder, I think, for people in the, in the hip hop and urban community. Right, right, And we've seen that change. So Mm -hmm. I I think, I do think that was a special time. I don't think we were as cognizant of it at the time as we are now, because in hindsight, we can see that that it really was a period of tremendous growth for the Canadian industry in Canada, but also for the profile of Canadian artists
2: outside of Canada.
0: You guys mentioned uh, the genos and MMVAs. Were those things important to you guys?
2: Oh, sure. Absolutely. No, no, no. it was, it was very, it was very special. It was was amazing to be nominated and it was amazing to go. It was a, like Kevin said, we were sort of we were so wrapped up in it at the time that we probably didn 't realize until after the fact how important these things were, um particularly when it became a, a an annual annual occurrence but uh I mean being recognized by your by the by the industry and by your peers for the work that you 've done for the the, the material you 've put out for the songs you 've written is super special i mean it's really it really helps you feel like you 're contributing in a very legitimate way it also really helps let us know let our parents know that we uh who we may have actually made some <laughs> good decisions. <laughs> I remember the first time we played the Juno's which was in nineteen ninety five at Cops Coliseum and we played we, we won the Juno that year for, for Best New Group and we performed push there as well. And uh it was in Hamilton, so fairly close to Kingston. So my, my mom came to the uh the thing and, and I remember being in the dressing room and and David Foster walked in. And my mom was just like, okay, this is, she was like, this is really cool. (laughs) Um, So yeah, no, those things are, but they're also, they're, they're a great time to, again, to sort of hang out with the other, the other bands as well. They're really, they're really fun. They were fun parties as much as they were anything else. I was going to say, actually, the parties were,
1: (sighs) we paid dearly for the parties, but, uh, uh, you know, we, we were always a fairly heavy partying band anyway, but, uh, but man, those, uh, when the partying, partying at the award shows in Canada and, and partying with uh, the Brits or in Newfoundland at any time were probably the uh, <laughs> probably the deadliest times for us. But uh, but the Junos the Junos and and all those uh, all the the MMVAs oh, they were an incredibly fun experience. And as Jeff said, you know it was it was it was great to be able to meet all these people that you might uh, you know run into on the road but also you know we had opportunities like with the Neil Young thing we had opportunities to meet and 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 share the stage at times with with our heroes uh, we opened for uh, you know we opened for the red hot chili peppers at one point in new york city oh, wow. uh, you know we uh, we played uh, uh we played you know with other a lot of 90s bands and that kind of thing. but uh, but to to be able to sort of meet not only the folks that were, you know, coming up at the same time as us, but the people who had been and get the perspective of, of Canadians who, who had grown up at when, uh, come up when when the Canadian music scene was, not not as uh, as big a deal within Canada, was it was fascinating. It was a, it was an education as, as much as it was uh, an honor.
2: Did you watch the M M B A solder when you were you were when they were on back in those days?
1: Yeah, religiously every year
0: tape I recorded a bunch of VHS so
2: yeah. Right so one of the the years I think it was 1997 was a year I mean those were as chaotic as they as they seemed on TV they were they were 10 times more chaotic to actually be there because it was there's filming locations all over the bunch Music lot and on the street and in the various parts of the building and we were constantly being like sort of taken various places and ushered various places and in each spot there'd be people you would know that you'd be hanging with and everyone was drinking and it was it was a it was a a big party. I think it was that year we won four Mush Music Video Awards that year. Uh, that was the year the Tangerine was out, and none of us were even aware of that until the next day because we were just so wrapped <laughs> up in the in the party at the time. And the next day it was like, oh, by the way, you guys won four awards last night. I was like, like, wow, it amazing. that's great. Yeah, they're they are they chaos and they were they were super fun.
0: Now, speaking of the videos for our Creature, you guys definitely had a bigger budget than the videos for Silver. Do you remember um, working with different directors and developing the concepts of the videos, and and now noticing that extra money being put to work?
1: Well, it, it was noticeable, definitely. I mean, I think I think to, the first video for Creature for Leave It Alone again was a was a treatment that came out of uh, the, that one specifically came out of David, mm-hmm. um, and and then was built on that with uh, with uh, with the folks that that worked on the video. But uh, the videos for 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 Creature were. Uh, although they were bigger budget, they were shooting video was always kind of the the same thing for the band you know you would we'd arrive at some place that we normally wouldn't be at and we'd spend a lot of time waiting and <laughs> waiting and waiting and uh although the production uh, the money was upped, then and and early on with the silver videos what what always really mattered to us when we were looking at a video had regardless of what the budget was was how we thought it fit the song and how how visually because video was so important back then right how visually uh it was going to uh present the band in a, in a new light and in a in a way that 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 nailed it for that song so we weren't we weren't always thinking very much about budget as much as we were thinking about the concepts because uh even with even with a lot of money things can go terribly
2: awry <laughs> we have a good I mean, the thing about the Silver videos, is that those, those three, sorry, four, four videos we did for Silver, they were all treatments that the band came up with. Um, they were all ideas that we we had, that uh, one of us would have and then be developed by, by the rest of us, and then whoever was directing the, the video would be brought into the creative process. Uh, and it was the same with the Leave It Alone video. For Gasoline, Tangerine, and Resurrection, those three concepts were brought to us by very talented filmmakers, Uh, directors who said in each case i have this great idea can i do a video for your song based on this idea and with resurrection it was the continuous shot sort of the continuous pan with the different rooms which was amazing with the with tangerine it was the the crazy (laughs) serial killer kind of angle with it and with uh gasoline it was this art movie set around day of the dead imagery and that we filmed in in mexico city and so we sort of each of in each case, the director came on as a as another part of the of the band and as a very important creative member and uh, and developed those uh, with us and, and for us. And it was really it was nice actually turning over the ultimate responsibility um, for the video to each of those directors in, in time. And they were they had a technical idea in a way that we wouldn't have, like in the case of the, the, we'd have
1: the... We'd have the visual, but we wouldn't have the How do we actually achieve that? How do we do this? Yeah,
2: <laughs> Resurrection, if you, if you no. remember the, the resurrection video, it was it's the, the continuous pan. Yes, and, uh, and so that was fairly kind of new technology at that time to have a computer-controlled sort of panning like, thing, like a, the, the camera on a dolly that moves at a certain speed each time, so you could cut, you could constantly be changing the contents of the room and uh, moving people around, and, and uh, they were fun videos to make, just for, for that.
1: They were extremely fun to make, and the
2: resurrection video, for whatever reason,
1: uh, I recall having just a uh, just a blast at. I think it was the, the 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 whole idea of watching watching that being made by you know we could conceptualize what it was going to look like. We could see that it was you know as I say we were always very interested, always very picky about the concepts that came up, but to see them actually do it was it was fascinating. It was, it, again, one of those experiences that it's like, uh, who who thought this would be this much, uh, you know, this much fun? And we we took so much from, you know, we didn't talk a lot about this, but when we were touring early on Silver, particularly when we were touring internationally and particularly when we were touring over in Britain, we had opportunities that we we would never have had we decided to do anything else. And... Uh, I, I think, too, I, I mean, Jeff and I have talked about this, but we've all talked about this at one point or another, that we've been we've been lucky enough to not only, uh, you know, in our, in our own small way, be, a, be ambassadors for Canadian music, but to also not only to see other places, but to see as much of Canada as we have and as many times as we have. If someone our lives are much more complex in many ways than they were back then. But the 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 luxury, the blessing of being able to get into a van or a bus or what have you, or jump on a plane, and to just crisscross cross the country, remains something that is. is I, I don't, Jeff. I don't know about you, but I, I, I every time I think about it, I get almost giddy.
2: Yeah, and you know <laughs> what? And the other thing too is that, and this is something that's really important with our band is that we were, we were, and continue to be really. Great friends, and so we weren't doing this with strangers. We were doing this with people that we legitimately loved and ju- legitimately loved spending time with. Uh, there's very few people in the world that I would have enjoyed doing this stuff we did as much as with the with the people in the in, in the band, and and also by extension the people who sort of were in that extended crew that Kevin that Kevin mentioned earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. People like Graham and Stan and, and our our tour manager uh, Fink and our sound guy Fink at the time, and and uh, and other people. It was a really it was an amazing amazing experience
0: speaking of um live shows and videos kind of in the same topic you guys did uh, a second re- a second release of the resurrection video you did a live
1: video as well that was filmed in uh, verdun auditorium in montreal
0: yeah what what, what was the, the motivation behind releasing a live video of it
1: if i recall it's it, you know it was the idea of, of, of presenting the band live as we were at that time period it was you know. we we always like to say we we thrived on tour not only because we we liked being on the road and, and loved the travel, but we also thrived because we really felt like the live environment was was where the band lived you know um, partly because we'd spent a lot of time on tour in the early days and partly because we were always trying to capture that in the studio to some degree, and when I say always, I mean maybe not so much on Mercedes, but it was something we were always trying to trying to capture and to have a live video. Of a high energy song like like mm-hmm. Resurrection to show the band off live, you know we just felt we felt it was something that was worth a relook at the song worth it and and you know quite frankly if you do something like that you're going to get more video play and more video play is going to translate into more interest and in, in that sort of thing that but um, mm-hmm. but it, but it, it I, I still look back at that video and uh, a bit a, a bit
2: a goggle at the energy on stage which which yeah, I, I'm very yeah. proud
1: very proud of it you know you know
2: that was also the the that was shot during our very first headlining arena tour and (laughs) so it was kind of like wow you know what we're headlining an arena tour across Canada we should really take a moment and and capture this and then once we've captured it it was kind of like you know what we should really share this because this is very good and that was kind of kind of it we we decided to film a show and to record a show because we we thought that what we were doing was we thought it was a great show we thought it was great and then once we had it we were like well, we got to we got to we got to let people see this cuz this is really this is really good
0: you ever going to release the, uh, the full show?
1: I wouldn't even know where to find the footage for the show without, uh, oh, wow. for that specifically. However, yeah. go ahead, Jeff.
2: No, I was just going to say, and I don't think it was, a, we, it was a single camera shoot. So even though it looks oh, okay. like all the shots were taken of, of the one song, it was just like one camera shooting from a bunch of places throughout the entire thing. There's very little of, of that video that's actually in sync with the song because it's stuff that's from all the entire the entire show. It's just like one one person with a camera wandering around the entire arena. Actually, multiple arenas. Though I think we did the we shot in Verdun uh, and we also shot some of it at the Barry Molson the Molson Arena in Barry I think as well.
1: And the, so, the, although we have not we've never done a live album per se.
2: I don't know if you you've seen me.
1: Uh... The silver reissue,
0: there is a... Yeah, I own the, the vinyl, the vinyl edition. Oh, you yeah. okay.
1: So, you know, the, the vinyl does have the live recording of, of right. us playing uh, the Roxy in in, in L.A. On, uh, during our collective soul tour.
0: And, and is there any reason why you picked that particular show for the reissue? Yeah,
1: <laughs>
2: yeah we didn't have that many that were recorded, frankly. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, we, uh, <laughs> we, we actually we didn't know. We knew we wanted to put a bonus disc, uh, and we had this idea of putting a bonus disc of unreleased material, and it was only at the the ninth hour of the whole thing I don't know if the ninth hour is a thing but it was at the very last hour of uh, trying to figure out what was going to be on the bonus disc that i remembered that i had a box of stuff in the back of my garage and i dug in there and found an old dat dug up the dat player and it was that show and uh oh really and by, so i i digitized it sent it off to the guys and we were like this actually is really good so um uh, that was it just happened Maybe the what we found. And it was recorded. the reason why we had that in the first place was because Westwood One Radio Network, which was a big American uh syndicate for recording live shows back in the nineties, they were there recording Collective Soul. And huh. so Moist was an afterthought for them. they was they were there because they were doing the Collective Soul show and so and they but they mixed it down like very well and and sent us a dad as backup and uh yeah, that's the reason why that happened.
0: I'm curious about the set list for that, Gabe, because I, I think uh I can't recall right at the top of my head, but either Silver or Push is not on the set list.
2: Yeah, no, we were... Uh, because we were doing an opening band, we were opening for Collective Soul at the time, opening spot, we only had 40 minutes. Push was the single that we were working in America, and, and we didn't expect that anybody else would have any... No one was demanding we play anything. So we just put together the best eight-song set that we could, because it was our mandate to go out every night and to and to really try to be the best band possible. And yeah, so Silver... Is not in the set just because we didn't want to have that much of a of a lull in a forty minute set. Huh. It was a very super high energy set with, with but push is there. We we always played push second last.
0: Right, yeah, I knew it was one of the two. I just couldn't uh, couldn't figure it off the top of my head. And there's also a track on there in a live show that isn't on Silver. F.
2: Actually, two. I think uh, uh, Kick Conductor and Broken are both right. both songs that we had written and we were work. They were being. Kick Conductor was on the original nine-song tape. The, dem- the original mm. demo. Broken was the song that we wrote after Silver had come out, and we always thought that we would probably put it on the second record, but we we opened every single set with it. So we kind of it had lost its luster for us. by the time we, came we have a we have a history feature.
1: with songs that we've written to open the set. We're always looking for the perfect opening song, and uh, and back then we we you know it wasn't like we had we had the one record to, to draw from, <laughs> right? You know it's like. You've got this many choices. Here you go, or we play. We don't want to play post right them. We want to play something else. So we we were always looking for the perfect and trying to write the perfect opening song for 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 this show specifically. Um, one of them was actually called "Opener," and uh, <laughs> as, you know when you call a song "Opener," there's a good chance that song is not going to make it into the next album cycle because. <laughs> you are not that committed to it. You're you, it hasn't, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, we we were always very much about, uh, making our lives so as compact and, and tight as possible and trying to, trying to give people their, you know, their money's worth and, and, you know, go out at heart and leave it all on the stage kind of thing. But, uh, but also to keep it tight and particularly when we're, we did a lot of openings for uh, openings, uh, slots for a lot of different bands, and one of the things that we always tried to do was, was you know, to be uh, to be a, a good opener in terms of trying to warm up the crowd, but also getting the hell off stage real fast afterwards and in on time, because no one wants to have the plug pulled on them before the before the headliner comes on.
0: Speaking of uh, opening, uh, you kind of you slipped that in earlier, but how did that Chili Peppers gig in New York come to be?
2: That came we, through uh, our own label there, yeah, if yeah, I the label. Jeff? We actually, yeah, we were spending a lot of time in New York at the time and we actually we opened up the sleepers, but we also opened for uh Weezer. We opened for Live Weezer, oh. uh Smithereen's, uh Oasis well, Actually, Oasis opened for us.
1: Cheap trip, Great white and all
2: on the same bill. <laughs> yeah. So they were just it, it was we, we did a lot of we had a lot of uh opportunity to to play with a lot of other amazing nineties bands. and that was all the work of the of the label and our agents just trying their best to put us in front of audiences.
0: Did that make you guys better playing with um, the top acts of the day from all over the world?
2: Absolutely.
1: When you when you're watching, uh, you know, when you're watching Metallica play in a tent with 500 people, yeah, that's inspiring. Because you know, you're <laughs> like, as, as Jeff said about, about uh, James Hatfield's presence, uh, the uh, you know, it, you're sitting there in this, 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 for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, a large. Uh, Uh, you know a large domed tent in 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 a very remote area and they they look like you know they look like gods they look like they've done it so often to see people that are that comfortable on stage and that that proficient at what they do not just as musicians but as as performers yeah it's 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 majorly inspiring but that that was from the very beginning it was it was, uh, it wasn't just bands that that we were, you know, uh, you know, pinching ourselves and going, I can't believe we're we're playing the same stage as this band at the same time. Uh it was watching other bands that uh, we just randomly got uh, uh put on bills with uh mm-hmm. call early on, a band called uh was it Cadillac Tramps, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a band from it's uh, from the States, don't know exactly where, but uh I remember we opened for them and uh they uh they, they these bands that had this crazy crazy stage show crazy energetic really great players everything was an inspiration uh for us uh, in, ter- uh, in terms of learning how to try to be better at what we
2: did on stage uh, you know the most inspiring thing i think that was i mean we it's one thing to be playing with Hootie and the bullfish and matthew sweet and, and and those bands and blues traveler and whoever else but uh you know when we did that the 15 shows with neil young and seeing how much energy and how much soul he would bring into a show you know a guy at that point in time who'd been doing it for the better part of 30 years um you know being able to watch a neil young show every night uh for for a month is an amazing experience as well from from wherever you want it was amazing
1: it was it was it was uh, you know like i said an education i should mention the show that jeff mentioned about uh Hootie and the Blowfish and Matthew Sweet. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but I believe that was uh, the first show
2: broadcast live. Uh, yeah, it was the first steps. Yeah,
1: was... Oh wow!
2: Apparently, uh, yeah, as if it's the first show that was ever streamed on the on the on the World Wide Web. And because we were <laughs> the opening band, that means that Moist actually was the first band ever streamed on the World Wide Web. This is something that I picked up from a, from a Canadian Press article. I don't know if it's actually true or not, but but I read it on. I read it on the internet,
1: so it must be true. Yeah. Oh it must be. Absolutely. Nobody <laughs> lies on the internet.
2: No. No, no, never.
0: On a side note, um, you were speaking about intense live shows, uh, Kevin, have you ever uh you work hard up there. Have you ever
1: lost your glasses? Well I am I, very I am very hard of seeing and uh <laughs> me, me and, too, that's uh, so I would seen now, I wear contact lenses on stage now because uh, you know, it's uh I go through fewer pairs of glasses that way. But because I shared the side of the side of the stage I shared with Jeff, in the early days, my glasses would go flying off regularly. And Jeff would move (laughs) over towards wherever they fell and start stamping his foot in an exaggerated fashion so I could get an idea of where my glasses were.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'd be trying to protect them and point out where they were at the same time.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. But we can move into Mercedes. Um, What was the approach going into the third
1: record? The approach was actually very, very different from what we had done previously. Uh, as I as I'd mentioned, once we got hooked up with Network and uh, and started, uh, you know, uh, Jeff was. You got to remember that at, at the time, not everybody had a personal computer. Um, uh, the cell phone was a briefcase that one guy carried. Right. Uh, <laughs> early days when we started touring. Right. 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 Um, we had uh, we had you know once we signed with Network for Creature. And uh, we were in Montreal, we, uh, you know, we all got spanking new computers. We got, uh, we started, you know, we, we dragged kicking and screaming into the, into the digital world. And, uh, that essentially had a big impact on how we approached Mercedes We were in Montreal. We had, uh, you know, we we were finally discovering what early digital audio workstations would would allow us to do and music recording software. So a lot of our early demoing and a lot of our uh, a lot of the work that we did uh, was done in in Mark's apartment on an early version of Cubase. Yeah. Um, so so that was it, although we did rehearse, we didn't depend as much for Mercedes on having the songs down in a format that we would be playing them live and then going in and recording them. That was a normal air process. Get it down so we can go in. And in the early days, that was of necessity. You know, we only have so much time. We're going in at, you know, like midnight when the studio is not busy in 8th Avenue Sound. We're going in to record Silver. We want to go in guerrilla style, get everything we possibly can and get out. So we had, had, obviously, we had more time for Creature, but we still wanted to capture that live vibe and with Mercedes, we I think we collectively I don't know what fueled it. I think part of it was the fact that we were recording uh, more individually uh, on on as I say on, on Cubase at the time, but to also we wanted to we wanted to stretch out. I think.
2: Yeah, and with that record too, we were we were tired of being in a loud space, um, so we were less inclined to want to get together. We used to rehearse six nights a week, uh, all the time. Like back in the early days, it was. We, we rehearsed constantly, and after doing that for five or six years, uh, we had just we were just a little bit tired of the noise, frankly. <laughs> so uh,
1: we were wanted... also all making tentative steps to you know have a life outside the band, you know. Yeah. yeah so, right. so you wanted to spend some time, you know, at home uh, at, at, rather than uh, than booting over to 4200 Saint Laurent to spend uh, you know five hours uh, uh, blowing our ears out.
2: I feel like it's safe to say too that the, the the songs on the first record and and the songs that didn't make the first two sorry the songs on the first two records and the songs that didn't make the first two records like that body of work those songs for the most part were written by having five people playing really loud in a room over and over again until it sort of until a song takes shape with Mercedes it was much more a process of individuals bringing in songs that were closer to being completed and then having them worked up from that so it was just it was just a totally different way of making. Of making a record and you know at the time we were we were so good with that I, I think that we we would have looking back on mercedes i think we're all still really proud of the of mercedes as a record um but i think as well we there's parts of the record i think could have been that could have benefited from being having been jammed out a little bit more
1: than they were we were also working with a with a uh, we had, for that record we worked with uh, uh david leonard who had uh who had produced uh uh, a variety of different people, but uh, 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 bare-naked ladies and, and 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 that sort of thing. And uh, I think he he did the record that the record that broke them in the states. And uh, uh, he was the guy that basically termed Moist uh, described yeah. Moist as a five-headed beast. Everybody had certain ideas about sonically what they wanted to achieve, and he let us go to it across the board so we we took some we took some chances on that that we wouldn't have otherwise and we're still even though we had done our, our early demos in 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 you know in the early music recording software well not that early but you know uh on 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 cubase when we got into the studio i recall i, I mean I, I really enjoyed making that record I, we there's long chains of, of of uh of analog effects and pedals and hey let's take this keyboard and run it through this and then let's chuck a leslie speaker at the end of it When's you know, the string section uh, coming in? <laughs> Jeff playing mandolin on the record. Uh, you know, um, there, was, there were a whole bunch of little little things, little touches uh, that we then had to reproduce live, or felt
2: we had to reproduce live.
0: And how was that adjustment? Did you feel he succeeded? Or?
2: What actually happened with that is that when we actually came time to rehearse this, a lot of, some of the songs up for live, an example of Comes and Goes, which was the third, the third single from the record, Rehearsing it for the live set kind of brought a brand new life into it. And we ended up re-recording that song uh, specifically for radio and for the American release of the, of the record. Uh, we recorded it a, a more like, like live off the floor kind of type thing. Uh, so there's actually the song sort of took on a brand new life when we started getting them ready for the live show.
1: And that was a, that was a time when we, again, as, as with Creature, things had changed somewhat, you know, we were doing more, slightly more ambitious tours and we wanted to, you know, we wanted up the game in terms of the production, you know, arguably, you know, and add things like a disco ball and a confetti cannon, uh, <laughs> to the live show. But the, but the actual, the actual prep for getting, for getting those the, the shows for Mercedes up and running, uh, you know, we were using samplers for the first time, not to, not to, uh, uh, to run full elements, not to run track behind us. We, this is something we you know, a lot of bands do that. We don't, we never have, you know, but to, uh, to cop a bunch of the sounds that we were actually, we had actually recorded and yet still be able to play them uh, live. And, uh, you know, we had some drum loops running and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it was, it was a real challenge. I, I remember very well spending a lovely Montreal summer in, in our, in our rehearsal space uh, with, 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 uh, Various guys on our crew were trying to make uh, a new technology work, which, which was great in terms of we pulled it off. I feel we captured what we wanted to live, I think, Jess. Oh, for sure.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and, but, the, but the other thing about that period of time is that even though we had we'd grown, we had the new management company, we had a whole bunch of crew members that, you know, it was a far cry from you know, ourselves and Graham and Stan crossing the country together back in the, back in the day, we had a, we had a, we had a bunch of crew members that uh, that had been out with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of high powered bands uh, all through the States with, with the B&Ls and that kind of thing, you know, they were really experienced guys. And yet it still felt kind of like the family. We had, a, we had an apartment in Montreal that we used as a crew apartment after, uh, after some of the band had relocated to, uh, to Toronto. And uh, it still felt like a really, the, the one element that still is something that we we, we we feel to this day is that we feel like a family. We always have. And and to some extent, I think we were kind of an insular family as well. We didn't spend as much time as some other artists did with, with their peers at the time for whatever reason. But these relationships, the, the Jeff and I and Mark and, and David and, and, the, and the crew members, you know, past and present, and our, our, our other current band members, uh, Francis Filial and, and, uh, and John Gallivan who plays guitar as well in the band along with, uh, along with Mark, and as we'll probably get into, I, su- I suspect uh, the fellow that took over on bass, Louis Lamont set set, uh, when Jeff had to leave the band for a time. You know, there's always been a sense of family. And I, I know, I, 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 I'm probably belaboring this, Jeff, sorry buddy, but <laughs> uh, but it really, it really makes, it really makes a difference. I think uh, Jeff and I have played with a lot of different people over the years and we we've had a, I'm sure I've had a boatload f- of fun playing with different, different people, whether it's been like one song or, or, you know, going out and, and doing a bunch of shows with people, but with this, this band is family. And it, it's, it's been that way since the very beginning and, of of all the you know, we we were successful we were, were proud of what we did we we've, we've loved what we've done musically uh, we've been we've been so happy that people have been gracious enough to to continue to come see us after so many years
2: we still uh, can keep on but, doing it, it was amazing and wonderful but also looking back at the number of
1: bands and friendships and relationships that you know from people we know personally that have exploded and gone bad and gone south for us to have maintained Uh, the friendships that we have, of all the things about this man, that, that that is one of the things I value the most.
0: briefly touched on it there, but there was two releases of Mercedes, a US release and a Canadian release. Different artwork, different track listing, a, a new recording of Push.
2: Can you maybe take yeah. us through all that? Yeah. So okay, so that was a, so, so as as we as we talked about seventy five minutes ago, uh Push <laughs> was a it was a it was a medium sized success in America that was not capitalized for, on for a number of different reasons. Uh, there was an issue with records being uh, not in the stores. Um, there's a problem between the label, SBK, and their, and their distribution partners at the time. And uh, to the point where we had people going out to record stores and, saying, and sending us pictures that showed that there was no, no product there, even though the record was doing really well at radio. So we uh, changed labels over to ARSA, and then that ARSA sort of, kind of, they disappeared. And so for the third record, we went back to Capitol. And I think it was a bit of a – almost like a, a, a pride thing in the case of, uh, of, of whether it was network or, or label where they were like, push should be a hit. That company didn't make it a hit because they failed. I can make it a hit. And so they, <laughs> were, they sort of sold us on this, this idea that push wasn't a hit for us. We didn't break in America because of, of the fault of, of their predecessors and that if we let them try to break it this time, things would be different. And so with that in mind, they convinced us to go re-record Push uh, in a studio in, in Vancouver. Um, so they could the put warehouse. it on the American, in the warehouse, yeah. So they could, so they could include it on the, on the American version of Mercedes. What they didn't anticipate is that when it actually came time to take the song around to radio, even though the general public didn't re- remember the song, the radio, radio stations did. did. And so <laughs> they were like, why would we play this song? We played the song a lot six years ago and nothing happened, why would we play it again? And so it was a, it was a bit bit of a, no, we're not really super proud of that, of that particular decision or moment.
1: Having said said that though, one of the, one of the things that, one of the, one of the things that comes up with some of the people we worked with, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, Barb Seaton and, and and Michael McCarty from, uh, from EMI publishing early back in the day. And one of the things that, uh, you know, Folks at our label uh, in Canada, at EMI, I've spoken to over the years, folks, uh, of course, Barb and, and Mike, uh, and, and Barb particularly would say, you know, it bothers me that we never broke this band in the United States. And, you know, it, like it, it, they almost feel, it's almost like they feel personally aggrieved that they didn't <laughs> break the band in the United States, which says a lot about how committed they were to, to us and, and how much belief they had in us and uh you know uh, so even though that that trick doesn't that trick of re-releasing the song doesn't necessarily work it works that trick never works will you if you will <laughs> you know the fact that they wanted to try it because they they uh you know and and this is what network felt as well is we don't think you got a fair shot we want to we want to make this right so is, is, is as much as it didn't work out and we're not that we weren't you know the first recording of Push was just a you know, like a, a, a superior recording for whatever reason, we captured it at the same point for, for those people I have that kind of belief in us. I, I, you know, I, I, I do remember that fondly. And Hey, we got two different, complete, completely different packages and completely different uh, versions of the artwork.
2: You know, hey. I think as well, too, there's another, there's another side of it as well, which is that I think that the, the record company in America, they knew that we were a, they knew the kind of band that we were, that we were a, a, a really great high energy rock band. And we delivered to them a record that was, that was not that. Mercedes is, is anything but a high-energy record. It's a much more melancholy, slightly more melancholy a much more uh, pensive, sort of more... It's a beautiful record. I'm so really proud of it. But it's not, it doesn't represent the kind of live show that we were still... We were still putting on a big, live, high-energy rock show. Swappy, and the label, the label was like, you know what? If we're, we're going to break this band, we got to have that super high-energy rock song on the on the on the record as well and so that's also yeah, the other part of it too they wanted us they wanted a song on the record that represented what they knew the band really was and as a, as was often the case
1: in uh, with american labels we would release the record in in america and uh it would it would uh you know it would not do terribly well and we would move on to another label uh the last label that we were on in the states was was capital so it was capital e-m-i in, in america um and uh one of the things again, you know, we talked about the various experiences we had. This so one of my my regrets actually, is that we were actually at the uh, Tyler. You're familiar with the Capitol Building in LA. I am. Yeah. Yeah. So in the bottom, of, in the in the bottom, as, as far as I know, because I've never seen it, in the bottom of the Capitol Building is a is a very fam- was a very famous studio. Frank Sinatra recorded there. All this stuff. They offered us a tour of the studio, but we had to go somewhere else. And. uh <laughs> That is that. As much as uh, it would have been nice to break the stage, that would have been a nice consolation prize, tooling around, uh, tooling around where people like Sinatra and and uh, I believe Elvis and others had, had recorded. And
0: the and the switch between the artwork and the track list? You know, did they do some uh, market research that Americans don't like blue
2: or something? Or? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what? We actually we, we weren't that. We enough time between the the re- release of the American label and the uh, so the release of the American. The, the Canadian record and the American version, that's uh, because it was a different track listing and that kind of stuff. We weren't that particularly crazed with the artwork for it anyway, and our management company wasn't that crazed with it. And so uh. they just sort of told Capitol to come up with different ideas uh, for it. And they, they suggested that that orange background thing was the thing. And I don't, this sort of has more of an Americana kind of vibe, which I guess is what they're trying to to, uh, hmm. And was uh, good, that, was, that was part of a, a photo shoot
1: that we'd done in in, in LA in you know, a building downtown in LA that's hmm. uh, r- really well known with the sign Jeff Roosevelt or something like that Roosevelt, no, uh, Roosevelt Hotel in was, Hollywood it, Boulevard yeah it, it, it might have been but the the, uh, the uh, anyway we did a we did a shoot in this in this hotel previously hotel now sort of large abandoned building at, at that time. And uh, and so all that artwork, all the all those photos, and all of that was from was from that photo shoot.
3: i
0: At this point, it's uh, it's 1999. Have you guys seen a change in the music industry in Canada between, say, your first record to this third record?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the uh, everything everything changes. As if you if you're in something long enough, you're you're there long enough to see a change. And I think that beginning of the 90s, 1991, 1992, uh, there's definitely a, an awesome indie kind of vibe going on that was fueled by the American. Grunge explosion and, and the uh, the moving of alternative rock from from college radio to to mainstream radio and uh, uh over the course of the nineties that that all changed. Those people who were there they they grew up and their their younger siblings were less interested in in rock music and more interested in in, in different things. I mean, there's still a lot of rock bands in the early two thousands and that kind of stuff. Like Nickelback and Linkin Park and all that sort of stuff, but uh, but the scene in the scene in Canada sort of stops it, it just sort of it changed quite a bit. Uh, much music was becoming less and less important i think uh, as, as it sort of moved more into playing less videos. I think Napster was a big game
1: changer too obviously it was a big game changer for the industry but uh, you know just as a as a music fan you know to be able to to have access as we is something we now take for granted uh, to have access to you know virtually most of what you've ever heard of and much of what you haven't simply by, you know, calling out to uh, your, 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 uh, she, she, who shall not be named because she's listening right now, calling out to Alexa and saying, uh, you know, play <laughs> X on Spotify, you know, when Master first came in and the, uh, the ability to listen to all this other music, it was just the the tip of the iceberg for, for, for people being able to, to create their own, just create their own music the, the, without, the, uh, without the traditional barriers that had been there. As, as I mentioned, you know, we were we were really into, uh, you know, that first uh, one of the early iterations of Cubase. We used uh, early uh, uh, digital recording hardware, hardware recorders, but but digital recorders when we were doing. Uh, uh, I think we had the, uh, something Creature. called a radar in, yeah. in Creature. and and you know, we continued doing that in uh, on, on Mercedes, and have since you know obviously moved on to uh, to to other 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 platforms, but th- th- you know the the, the traditional. The, in the 90s and and the early 2000s it went from that those traditional barriers that were put up between bands and their audience had begun to break down and part of one of the things that was important to that was having access to music for free and not just music audio from bizarre audio from all over the place fan and after that uh, that opened you up to a whole bunch of things i would I, I would say that you know the the, the the kind of monoculture that that there was in terms of you know this is this is what people are listening to on the radio, uh, and that's what the, you know these are the these are the number of videos we're going to play on on MTV in the United States. That's all gone, mm-hmm. and that I think has even has has enabled people to 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 just go wild and make uh you know and and to make uh to make some really interesting music maybe some music that you know that people argue there's too much music being made or that kind of thing or not all good but you can find whatever you want anywhere and napster was just i just remember that i remember when napster hit and i remember thinking this is going to change everything not just because you know suddenly music is free but suddenly i have access to stuff that i just never would have had access to before,
2: and suddenly I have a distribution platform for whatever I want to create as well, because you can now make anything you'd like and put it out there and if you can uh, somehow find an audience for it then they they have as much access to it as they would like
1: and that's exactly what we did
2: in an analog way <laughs> we started yeah. it like in a very, the
1: very only possible way story. the only possible way we could distribute ourselves if we were if you will is to Get on the road and stay there. And uh, and the, the only way that we could make people remember that we were actually there and value it was to, you know, as we say, put on, try to put on the best show we possibly could, but also to get out and, you know, do what people do online now. You know, kiss babies and shake hands. <laughs> shake babies and kiss hands. Sorry, mix that up.
0: Now, um, Mercedes is the, is the last record for nearly 15 years or so. What prompted the the break and the hiatus?
2: We were, uh, I think we were just tired. We, uh, we, we were well, we were also at that point in time, we had, we were in our, we had entered our, our thirties. We were well into our thirties for the most part. And I think that we all collectively, we needed a a break personally. We needed some time for personal growth. I would say, uh, we wanted to sort of have an opportunity to, to invest some energy in, in whatever sort of other pursuits we we might want to do. And, uh, mark and i at that point had decided to leave montreal we moved to toronto uh with our respective partners at the time as well and uh we just needed to to have uh, like just to sort of we needed a break from each other and that was kind of a david at that point decided he wanted to carry on making music and he was he brought us in uh individually to sort of contribute each of us we all contributed to to uh what ended up being his second solo record so the, His first solo record came out between 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 Creature and, and Mercedes and his second one Morning Orbit, we all participated in in different ways, but and actually it, it allowed us the opportunity to start honing other types of skills: production wise, writing wise, mixing wise, that kind of thing.
1: And I, I think too that one of the one of the big things that happened in, uh, in just before we stopped as well was that uh, that Paul left the band. Our drummer. Uh, we haven't spoken a lot about Paul, but I mean Paul left the band. Um, he had had a, had an injury and was unable to, uh, continue doing the, uh, he, he, he injured his back somehow and was unable to continue doing the, the remainder shows that we, we had on the slate before we figured out. Uh, and at that point we had decided pretty much that we were going to, uh, to take some time off. We didn't, we didn't know if it would be for good. We didn't know if it would be for, you know, as it turned out being 13 years or what have you. Uh, but you know. Although Paul left after we sort of made that decision, it, it felt like it was winding down a bit. It felt like something that we had done. We had spent so much time together and, and you know, it made much about us being a family. But as anybody who's gone home for Christmas ever knows, you can't spend all your time with your family. You have to do something <laughs> else. And you know, uh we're we're we've always been, you know, individually strong-willed and creative people. And and David Particularly wanted to wanted to go off and do, and do some of his own stuff, and he wanted to continue with music and and fulfill some of the things that he had started to do when he made that first solo record, and and you know frankly through the through the uh, uh, 2000s uh, Jeff and I uh, when when uh, for the Morning Orbit tour Jeff and I were actually part of his. Uh, Part of his touring band for for that hmm. and uh, his initial touring band and and again great experiences more times to crisscross the country with a, a boatload of different people, and uh, and gather more interesting and sometimes terrifying on stage stories.
0: <laughs> what led to the decision of uh, reconvening and getting back for yeah fourth record?
1: It was an ongoing con. It was an ongoing conversation about us getting back together for for a number of years. Hmm. Um, yeah you know
2: it was a it was a conversation ahead, that never yeah we never we never stopped having the conversation uh because we always we, our friendships never stopped and our and our our working relationships never stopped we kept on we continued to see each other and do things and every every so often whether it's a couple times a year or whatever we'd all be together and we'd be like well do we feel like doing another voice record and someone would be like well I got this going on blah 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 <laughs> and there just came a time in in and uh and 13 when the question came up and nobody had anything different to do. <laughs> it just seemed like hey, this this is the this is the time. Are you are you free? Yeah, you're are you free? Yeah. And so that's and nobody, how it came that came about. as importantly, nobody was nobody was uh, against it because
1: uh as Jeff said, you know, there there were a lot of things going on in our lives individually at times, where it's like this is really not a good time for this to happen. This is not, and it could have been work. It could have been, uh, you know, family. It, it can be a whole bunch of different things, but adjusting is like it's, it is a. The stars aligned, and we got together and we decided. Well, let's do a few shows anyway, and we had never intended to make another record. Obviously, when we first started doing this, we were just gonna, like, going out, you know, having a laugh, doing a few shows. We knew that there was the possibility that that, that would happen, but uh, but uh, it was certainly not doing a doing a glory record was was not on the table when we got together we just wanted to get together play some play some shows and uh you know feel it out see where it went from there
0: was there any apprehension in playing some shows after such a long break and worrying if the fans will still be there or anything like that any kind of voice in the back of your head saying
1: oh, yeah any kind of nerves or- yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure
1: are people going to show up you know we we hoped it would be reasonably successful and it was and uh, and and as as uh, you know that that's really important uh but what what was also really important was the fact that once we got back together the um, you know we we didn't have Paula at this time but once we got back together and uh, and and played as a unit again and played those songs uh as 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 previously there was just something special that that for us as individuals and collectively as a band of this group of of of, of musicians and friends getting together again on stage and we were playing we also brought at that time we brought john gallivant in who was uh uh has been uh, playing uh, for david's solo band for a number of years as well as francis Fillion, the drummer uh who had been playing for uh david's David lot for, for for a number of years. So those those relationships were also well established because we all all the guys in Mooney's knew all, pretty much knew all uh, all the guys in David's band at different times. Mostly, maybe not maybe not Francis so much, but uh, but definitely John has been you know was another of our extended musical family, if you will.
0: Did you guys uh, reach out to Paul and ask if he was interested in coming back on board or?
2: Yeah, we Paul uh, Paul at that time is. We we let him know what was going on. Paul moved to Vancouver, um, so shortly after the band went on a, on the break. So Paul Paul had been away from, and we we never lost contact with Paul. We still touch base with him, and and but he he's fully retired from music. Ah, uh, cool. So for the rest of us to sort of pick up and keep on going, we never we never the rest of us never stopped playing. So uh, it was actually not that difficult to get the songs um, back in back in shape because of be, we never stopped playing. But Paul had completely, basically retired from from music. Um, being a drummer is different from playing keys or, or playing guitar. It's a you know extremely physical um, right thing, and if you're, you're, your your body's your instrument, if it starts to break down, then then. Well, there's a bit. There's a bit six drummer jokes
1: going through my mind right now. You know, anyway, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, I'm
2: going to leave you with that. I'm not going. I'm
1: not going to repeat them all.
2: So we reached out <laughs> to Paul, and his his response was, you know, have a great time, guys. I I wish you the best of luck.
0: Last year, you guys released a epic. Silver re-release box set, uh, which I own, and it's awesome. I own the the three vinyl version, and you guys gotcha. put a ton of ton ton of work in that. There's a little commentary for each track. There's a ton of photos. Every single gig on that tour is listed. Whose idea was it to make such a grand uh, re-release? Did the label approach you guys? Did you approach them? How did uh, that all work? And who uh, is kind of the, the the monster behind putting that all together?
1: Well, the label, I, I, I believe it was something that, you know, with the anniversary of the first record coming up, uh, the 25th anniversary of the first record coming up, the, the, you know, the label, was, or Universal, was uh, who was in our label, were were interested in uh, in doing something to mark the occasion, as were we. So, management, Graham, and uh, and Universal put their heads together. And obviously, as we do, because we've always been very handsy about stuff that goes out, but we want to have our hands all over it and our brains all over it. Uh, we all put our heads together about what we could possibly do to make uh, make a package that was uh, a special package that hopefully people an, would enjoy and dig. But it went yeah. through a
2: lot of different iterations. And it was another labor of love. Honestly, of all of us, well, particularly Kevin and, and, uh, <laughs> Kevin and myself, Kevin and myself tend to be the uh, more of the keepers of, of material uh, from <laughs> the past. and So I had about nine. Packer. Is what so about say. Packer. Packer yeah in the case you're you actually have stuff i have digital stuff so i had about a thousand photographs and uh kevin actually has boxes of things like tour laminates and that kind of stuff so it was a real it was a real labor of love the the the, david and 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 mark and kevin and i just sort of we started sending us stuff and talking about the shape of it and uh kevin sort of spearheaded the the writing of the material like sort of put it all together and and uh yeah we just we knew that we had one opportunity to do this and that it would be much better Universal was going to do it regardless, but we knew that it would have it would be much nicer and be more personal and be, it would be more meaningful if there's uh, a lot of involvement from from us and that was when that's also when when Mark reached out to me and, and and told me about this and said there's also they want to do a 25th anniversary tour as well, and if I'd be interested in coming back in the band because I've been into the band at that point for about five years, and i I was and I am. And I did. Here I am. And it, it was it was it was a lot of it was a lot of
1: fun to revisit that, and I think it. I think we really, I think we really fed off out when we actually got you know, started doing the uh, the prep and and pro for uh, for the uh, 25th anniversary tour. You know, I mean, it, I, it, we we had never played obviously played the album all through, and uh, it was it was a great deal of fun to do that. Both Jeff and I have. Uh, have had some experience playing other people's albums all the way through with, uh, with a project that a friend of ours in, in Toronto started uh, with, uh, where they, where they play classic records all the way through. And, uh, but applying ourselves to our own was almost tougher in some ways at times. We knew most of the songs, mm-hmm. but there were the few that we didn't know that it was like, wow, who played that <laughs> keyboard line? I really want to punch that guy in the head. Cause that's tough to play and <laughs> sing that line at the same time. Yeah. Or, or, did did that keyboard player really use that sound? That is a terrible sound. I want to hit that keyboard <laughs> player. So, you know, in that way I have that in common with a lot of 90s heavy rock fans.
0: Um, you guys mentioned recording or demoing a lot of stuff for Creature. Uh any chance those songs ever see
2: the light of day? Oh yeah. It depends on the label. Yeah. We yeah, have we definitely have a we have so much material we could put up for a uh for a twenty fifth anniversary of, of Creature, which would be I guess next year would be the twenty fifth anniversary of that. Um, but that'll depend on the uh, on whether or not the label wants to invest in that again. It's, it's a fair amount of it's a fair expense for them to, uh, to undertake. just in terms of putting, and it's just not that much retail space anymore. So, uh, right. so it, it's, we would definitely be interested in that. We I think we we can make a really great uh, 25th anniversary of Creature package as well. Actually, that would be a an really interesting great thing to interesting record to play live again. Yeah, that'd be great. We could do a live doing that doing Creature from front to back. would be really fun and frankly we are literally
1: not obviously not as we speak but uh earlier this morning and uh and uh over the course of the past bunch of weeks since we've been isolation we are literally working on a new record we are recording uh individually because uh obviously we we can't get together in a studio right now because of the pandemic but uh just before the whole covid19 pandemic really hit the fan uh we were we were in a studio in toronto for uh for a booking for about five or six days, as I mentioned earlier, Tyler, we got our, our drums and our bass in that period. But we are we are currently working on a new record, which is awesome. being recorded yes. daily, individually, in uh, what I guess three different cities and uh, multiple homes.
0: What has that experience been like for you guys doing it that way for the first time?
2: It's actually pretty. It's pretty fun. I mean, the, fortunately, we had we had the songs pretty well well demoed and we had them well worked up. Uh, but it's definitely an experience um doing something like recording background vocals without any kind of feedback or uh there's a, <laughs> or it's like for example there's a there's a song if, yeah, i just want to say it, it's it's i mean the song the records come together amazingly well it's it's sounding it sounds a lot it's sounding it, great. it's
1: a lot like the things you miss about everyday life that like going to the grocery store to get an onion or something like that you know <laughs> it's it's is being in the studio with a bunch of other people and you know, it, hands on, whether you're singing or you're uh, you're playing your instrument or whatever you're doing, the immediate feedback, which sometimes is and, and often is brutal. That's terrible. Don't do that again. You know, it, it's it's really difficult. Uh, I find for it, it, I wouldn't say it's difficult. It's unusual to, to not have that immediate feedback. And you know, we're when we've recorded, we're we're each other's audience for what we're trying to get across musically in, in our individual bits. And to, to not have that immediate feedback is, is really strange. And, and you know, uh, as I said earlier about driving on the road, immediate feedback is something this, this band has always craved as, as, uh, in a live context. And, and in, in the studio, it is, it is a critical part of our process. So this is, this is a little unusual. But a lot of that happened, as as we say, early on in, in writing sessions together. So. But you know
2: what? And at, unlike Mercedes, was a different kind of. Like we touched on before, it was a it was a record that was, that was done not you know not live very much at all. This one, we are making a big, loud, live-sounding rock record. It's just we we have to sort of put the bells and whistles in from a distance right now.
1: But it, it did. This process is very much like our, it, like the original, the early part of this process is, is uh, probably as close to silver as any of our
2: processes. Oh wow! Yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah, we basically recorded the ten songs in in one sitting. It's just the, the now it's just the, the window dressing is going on now,
1: or or as I like to call it, keyboards and backing vocals, the-
2: keyboards and backing <laughs> <right>. and, <laughs> and, and, and lead, lead vocals
1: and lead guitar. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> the window dressing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So what kind of what kind of sound can the fans expect from this record? Is it is it loud? Is it quiet? Is it a mix of both?
2: I don't know, Jeff. How would you describe it? It's a good. It's like a, It's sort of. Um. It's like. You know, it's got the same sort of tenor as, as the creature record, I think. Yeah. I Lots of a uh, of uh, a couple of really awesome live loud songs and a few uh, uh, more pensive quieter things. It's good. It's. I'm, I really can't wait. I feel like everyone's favorite voice song. All the fans' favorite voice songs are on this record even though they don't know it yet. And I can't, and I can't begin to guess which song it is. I, I think they're all, I'm really, I'm a big, I'm a big fan. I think it's going to be great. I can't wait for people to hear it.
1: Uh, I I think too, that this, although, you know, although the, the, like I say, the process is, is, uh, uh, is it, it, somewhat silver, like if you will, um, mm. that uh, it, 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 there are elements of all that. I mean, because we, because we've done this in a variety of different ways over the years, uh, uh, together and, and individually, we just put out his own, own record with his with his own band. Um, we've recorded with other people at times and, and with David and, and that sort of thing. All of the, all of those experiences go into this, and I, I would say from, a, from just the, the moist recording experiences that we have, that this has this. Although it, that, you know we're we're going for something that has, uh, you know, we've definitely put that live feel into it. Uh, we're hoping to capture that in a way that uh that for instance we we didn't capture on Mercedes. But hmm. we've even even things from the last record, which 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 Jeff was uh Jeff was also involved in, even though he had he had he had left the band, there was uh there was a song that uh one particular Jeff had been involved in some of the writing and Jeff uh one song from Jeff's uh solo Record uh showed up on our on our last record. Uh, on Moist yeah, nice. last Records, so I mean, it it really is a combination of of uh, of all the processes we've gone through at time. What we you know, some things have worked really well, some things have have not worked as well. And uh, this time I think I think part of it coming off the 25th anniversary tour to do this, uh, put a fire, uh, lit a fire under so a little bit. Nice, uh, because we had to go back and and learn that most of the songs on the first record. We've, we've played live repeatedly over the years. Uh, but a few we hadn't. And to, to get into that process of recreating that album, you know, it's, it's not like we're recreating uh, something with, with a vast amount of, of, of orchestration or anything like that, but just trying to nail it, you know, and getting, getting inside that record again made us remember what, what we loved about playing together, what we mm-hmm. loved about the music we were making early on. And even though we've been doing this for a long time, uh, trying to recapture some of that uh, that that vibe that we had early on.
3: second and we loved every sin
0: yet on this question, I have a 90s Can Rock playlist on Apple and Spotify, and I'm asking all the guests to pick three songs, two kind of hits slash singles, and one deep cut uh, from your 90s material. So how would you like Moist to be represented on the playlist?
2: We have to do this collectively? Did Kevin and I have to come up with three songs? <laughs> <laughs> just because
1: just because we've worked together for like 30 years. That's we can <laughs> agree. <on anything. laughs> well, that's a rather large assumption, Tyler.
0: Well, no. You just have to agree on one track. You can each pick a single.
1: I thought does it have to be our music? Can't we just pick someone else's? Music? No,
0: no, definitely <laughs> no. You can't do it. Those are not
1: the rules that I invented. <laughs> uh, I got you. I got you. Okay. Uh, well, so two
0: singles, and so so you pick a single, and then we'll go to Jeff. You'll pick a single, and then you guys will come up with a deep cut.
2: Okay. So I would say
1: I would say Resurrection. Cool.
2: I I'm gonna say Push because you know. If there's a moist thing on Spotify, i sure it should be there. It should definitely be nice. there. And if I could suggest, Kev, for your consideration, I'm <laughs> go with a a, uh, a more of a rare song. You're
1: getting a look into our
2: creative process here, yeah. you know, because I mean, Jeff will look at me and and say, maybe not in the words, you know,
1: may I present for your consideration <laughs> that you not play that line that completely conflicts with mine. Yes, may <laughs> I
2: suggest that you stay away from the major third when we're all playing yeah, records. Right yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, go on, go ahead, Jeff. I uh, I was just "Dogs" from Mercedes because that's a song that's uh, that is not not well known, but it's a it's a beautiful song. Yeah, I love that song. I was just I'm listening to it
1: yesterday. Actually, I'm great with that. Well done, Jeff. You've, you've nice. we've, we we done. have consensus.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen, for taking the time today. It's a pleasure.
2: And Tyler, whenever we do come to. Whenever we come, when, when we do come to Winnipeg, or uh, not Winnipeg, when we do come to Regina, <laughs> when we come to wherever you come be. to Winnipeg, uh, <laughs> really hoping you can drive from Regina to see us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, look forward to uh, to meeting you in person, because uh, yeah, and let us hit us up for a for a guest list spot if you need to. Okay, appreciate that, sir.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today on Ravens Rule. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can do so in a variety of ways. First, you can go to Patreon.com/RaveDrool, become a patron, get access to deleted audio, get advanced notice of the guests, and get a chance to submit questions to those guests for an exclusive Patreon Q&A. Visit Redbubble.com, search Rave Drool, and You can buy various goods with the Raven Drool podcast logo on it. Follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more naughty canned rock content. Please find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And lastly, if you're looking for music, we have an official playlist on Apple and Spotify. Currently, it's curated by myself for tracks that I've selected, but as you heard during today's episode, eventually, it'll be curated by the guests themselves. Until next time, friends, take care.